This is Defenders TV podcast, episode 35, looking at Jessica Jones, season one, episode five, aka The Sandwich Saved Me. Welcome back, Defenders, to Defenders TV Podcast, episode 35. We're looking at the episode, a.k.a. The Sandwich Saved Me. Mmm, sandwiches. <laughs> and uh, this is Jessica Jones on Netflix, and it's season one, episode five. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host today, Derek. Uh, we're a man down today. And yeah, man down, man down. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Chris couldn't uh, couldn't join us for this episode, but he will return for episode six. But we're going to crack on with just the two of us for this one. So Chris will be back, promise. Uh, John, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm really good. Um, looking forward to sandwiches, um, I must <laughs> say. A hoagie yeah. sounded not like a sandwich at all. I presume that's a brand name in America. I'm really not familiar with it, but hoagie sounds like, I don't know, a bogey sounds like a <laughs> uh, hickey. I have never heard that before. That, I don't know. It's, I don't like, know. it's like a long, soft sandwich with loads of fillings in it, kind of like a, kind of like a Subway. Yeah, it doesn't sound nice, basically. You get two for one if you go to Jessica. Well, that's true. That is true. And in quite... fact, actually, if you want to know what a hoagie's like, Jessica's dressed as a hoagie, not a sandwich. Yeah, no, I, but it's great because you eat the hoagie and then you do the uh, Gillian Michaels 30-day shred, which, quite <laughs> frankly, uh, and, you know, this is honest, honest to God, uh, I could not believe was here in episode five after I had been going on about uh, the 30-day shred briefly, uh, especially with respect to Luke Cage's abs and trying to get them. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you've been doing the 30-day shred, and now uh, you find out that that's how Jessica got her powers. Yeah, well done. I am <laughs> going to be able to jump buildings after Gillian Michaels' 30-day shred. Quite <laughs> frankly, I cannot believe it. And just remember, as Gillian Michaels says... Um, being told to just walk is a false message of lethargy. Wow. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I must say, this I do kind of... of Defenders <laughs> TV podcast brought to you by Gillian Michaels, 30 Days Red. I do find it hilarious. Um, part of me whilst doing the routine is trying to, like, keep in the laughter. So, like, my ab muscles will be great. Excellent. Excellent stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, moving on, of course, uh, remember... If you want to uh, provide any feedback, all things feedback regarding uh, Marvel's Jessica Jones, any of the episodes, the season, uh, just anything in general, Gillian Michaels' 30-day shred even, <laughs> uh, please send them on to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Yeah, and as we're going into releasing an episode a week uh, from now on, this is our uh, our fifth episode of the podcast on Jessica Jones. We'll be releasing episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast in uh, iTunes. You can do that easily by just going to DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. That'll take you straight through to, to iTunes. Otherwise, you can subscribe on any Android podcast catcher through um, pretty much any of the services like Beyond Pod, Podcast Addict, and you can also subscribe through Stitcher as well. Let us know if you're searching on your podcast catcher and can't find us, and we'll make sure that we're, our podcast goes up there and is available for you as well. Absolutely. And, of course, you can interact and join us um, across Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, just search Defenders TV Podcast to join our group um, or like our page and get involved there in, in some of the discussions. Or you can tweet at us at DefendersCast 
Um, that's at Defenders Cast on Twitter. And it's great to get involved and to chat about this with everyone, uh, especially as well, given that we did have the first Civil War trailer. Um, oh, yes. Only yesterday, mm-hmm. which had, you know, Team Cap and Team Tony. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we have a fantastic trailer, actually. Really, really enjoyed it. I think that's kind of setting up my favorite movie, felt like a Captain America movie, which as our regular listeners will know, is pretty much my favourite character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at the moment. Um, so I'm really looking forward to to Cap 3. Yeah, yeah and I, I think we'll discuss some of that more um, on our next podcast when, when Chris returns. Yeah. Just briefly, we'll have a little news or trailer section for Civil War. You know, it's a big deal, and certainly, um, you know, it linked into some of our podcast conversation about, you know, will something from Netflix uh, series such as Daredevil or Jessica Jones impact into the Superhero Registration Act? Yeah. And we kind of got a glimpse here that actually it's the Sokovia Accord, which is all to do with the fact that in Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, um, yes, a city was lifted out of the earth. <laughs> um, I think that would cause uh, legislation, possibly, quite frankly. Yes, possibly. <laughs> But I think on that note, I think it's time to get into Jessica Jones, episode five, The Sandwich Save Me, or aka The Sandwich Save Me. Fantastic name for an episode. Love it. Uh, this episode was was written by Dana Barata. Um, this is the first episode of Jessica Jones. Uh, I think she does a couple more later on in the series. In the series. Uh, she is one of the producers of the show. Uh, and it was directed by Stephen Sergic, who you might remember uh, from our coverage of Daredevil. He directed one of the episodes of Daredevil. He's also directed episodes of Flash. Uh, and going back much further in his career is well known as the director of Wayne's World 2, John. Wow. There you go. Dude. (laughs) So, John, do you want to let us know what we got in this episode with your synopsis? Jessica Jones plays smart over the revelation that Malcolm, the heroin addict down the corridor, is the person providing Kilgrave with the photographs. At the same time, Trisha's new friend and bedfellow, Officer Simpson, also becomes involved with them in the hunt for Kilgrave. Despite reservations about Simpson's participation, Jessica accepts his help as she trails Malcolm in an attempt to pin down the exact photo exchange location with Kilgrave. During this operation, Jessica recalls past memories in her life as a regular 9-to-5 employee, a stepsister to Trish, a superhero known as Jewel, and dressed as the sandwich that saved her. (laughs) However, As events speed up in the hunt for Kilgrave, all of Jessica's superhero strength and intelligence must be utilised as they execute a daring public kidnap of Kilgrave that leads to unforeseen consequences that puts Jessica firmly back in his sights. So yeah, with this episode, we got our first real fist-to-fist, face-to-face clash with uh, with Kilgrave um yeah loads going on in this episode this is uh, this is pretty heavy with uh, with the flashbacks with the uh, detail about many of the characters in the show I think really really enjoyed it uh, so listeners if you're joining us for the first time the way we cover our episodes is we discuss our five points that uh, stood out to us about the episode and hopefully between the two of us uh, with our five points each that hopefully will cover everything about the episode uh, and some little notes as well. And then we decide whether we defend the episode or not. John, do you want to start us off with your first point about this episode? I do. And it will come as no surprise because I've already talked about it. It is the uh, 30 day shred by (laughs) Gillian Michaels. Um, (laughs) I'm telling you we should go for sponsorship. (laughs) I think we should. But I mean, on a Jessica Jones related note in relation to this point, it's, it's the flashbacks in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I absolutely loved them. Um, I think you had the you know the whole fun element where they're discussing the dual costume between Jessica and Trish, which I just absolutely loved. I mean, I laughed my head off at, at some of the the stuff. You know, they they should call me Camel Toe if I put that on. <laughs> I mean, like it was just so funny, yeah. really light and and really funny. And like in a, in a series like this, it does deal with really dark. Um, Things such as psychological manipulation, you know, these themes such as consent and uh, of of action and, and what happens to you as a person, uh, in particular a female. I think this is really, really like good to have these lighter touches. Definitely, and and just for those of you who haven't read the comic books, Alias, you may have seen the images before, but that is definitely the costume that uh, Jessica Jones has worn. Uh, as Jewel, that's the superhero outfit, and the name Jewel as as a superhero name was used by Jessica Jones at one at one time. Um, so I do like that they've called both of these out. I definitely don't think we're going to get it. <laughs> Looking at that costume, we're not going to get a daredevil moment where at the end of the series she puts that costume on and calls herself Jewel. Do you think? No, I mean no. <laughs> she puts this firmly, firmly to to, to rest. Really, yeah. you know, she goes, "I would need to go trick or treating in this costume." I mean, she really. <laughs> Um, from what she can see, she's not going to wear that. And like, and I love Trisha's retort against her. You can't wear the hoagie costume and be a superhero. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, like really, really good. And then even with Jewel, mm-hmm. she goes, uh, "That's a stripper's name. That's a slutty stripper's name." <laughs> I mean, it was strip. just really, really <laughs> funny. And I think like the costume comes from the front cover of Pulse. Mm-hmm. There, that that collected. Uh, graphic novel um, where Jessica Jones is working at the Bugle I think and, and there's this whole investigation I think it links in with Secret Wars mm-hmm. as well um, so on the front cover of that that collected um, book or graphic novel you, you have um, Jessica Jones flying through the air in actually this costume this dual costume so it's absolutely spot on in that um, but I love that fun element and I also love then like that flashback right at the start I think it gave really great context for her character I love this whole you know this was before Kilgrave. This was after Kilgrave that she went into um, straight after the flashback where you know it, it's a surrogate for happy Jessica Jones and not so happy or more serious Jessica Jones. Yeah. But I, I love that flashback again. They had some fun there where they were dealing with the jock who who's like trying to be really sort of testosterone about uh, beating a, a, a lady at, um, at a, a strength contest. Oh, yeah. You know, the, there's the whole thing where she's in the office and I actually thought that that was a newspaper office at first, but I don't think so. So I, I thought it linked into the Pulse um, graphic novel as well. But I, I don't think it did, looking at it. Um, yeah, it seemed like more of a financial institution or some kind of basic insurance company or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I love the fact that after she's been fired, you know, she goes, uh, do you want to spend a day drinking down um, down the bar to, to Trish? After she's gotten herself um, fired, but with a six-month severance package and all the benefits and a great reference letter. Um, she goes, uh, do I put day drinking down as experience or a special skill? <laughs> so, I mean, that's interesting as well. It's just sort of linking in. But I love how happy she is, how content she is. Mm-hmm. And then you have this whole pan back and she's there sort of 
in her office with Trish, and it's this before Kilgrave and after Kilgrave. It really adds so much context to that character. So I, I love these flashbacks, and, and there is another one as well that I want to touch upon, but that's actually a separate point entirely later on that, that kind of deals with Malcolm as well. So really good use of flashbacks for me in, in this episode. And I have to say that, you know, finally on this point, when the 30-day shred was mentioned um, and Gillian Michaels, I was like, what? Like, I just, I couldn't believe uh, that they mentioned it. I mean, but, you know, we've already had Pilates that have been done and now um, Gillian Michaels' 30-day shred. And I have to say now, I, I did it today in, in work um, at lunchtime and I kind of got a flashback uh, whilst I was doing it. I have to say, it was um, it was one that I was going to die and pass out, and maybe park a tiger in in work, which is not great. It is certainly worthwhile, um, but definitely, I have to say now um, that was a bit spooky to see right. that in there. It really was because um, we hadn't watched ahead Absolutely. at all. So, I mean, this was kind of an interesting meeting of exercise, my exercise and my sloth regimes um, <laughs> in here, really. Um, but anyway, yeah, flashbacks fantastic yeah absolutely that is also my first point i don't think you can avoid it really in this episode but i took some little extra bits out of it which i thought was quite interesting um some of the some of the way that you are introduced to jessica jones in the first four episodes you're probably left with the feeling that she is an alcoholic and she's an alcoholic because of what kilgrave did to her you're probably left with the feeling that she doesn't like human beings around her because of kilgrave not really the case um, it kind of tells you in the opening scene that she absolutely hates authority figures. She doesn't like anybody else being in control of her, despite the fact that she gets these menial jobs in offices. I work in one myself, so I'm, I'm able to say that. But she gets these kind of jobs that she is way above with her experience, with her knowledge, with her abilities, and then ends off, sounds like it's, she ends off quitting them or getting herself fired or finding out something about the boss, like in this case, so she can claim embezzlement so that she can just walk out of there with some money. Um, it's very interesting that there is still huge segments of her character that were never changed by her experience with Kilgrave. She always seemed to be a bit of an ass when it came to dealing with other people. She just had this attitude that we see pretty quickly earlier, early on that she just didn't like how people treated her and she wasn't willing to put up with it. Definitely. And that's, that kind of comes through that this was pre-Kilgrave as well. That that whole drinking thing, you know, she liked her drink. And, you know, was she an alcoholic beforehand or was she pushed just that too far, obviously, with the experience of Kilgrave, where that mm. descended into alcoholism? It's interesting because Which... obviously the point you made a, a moment ago, like she specifically calls out the fact that daytime drinking is is part of, should she put it down as experience or not? So yeah. clearly this isn't the first time she's walked out of a job at at a time that is 5 p.m. any somewhere in the world, as she describes it. So it could be any time of the day. No, exactly, exactly. Like, I love that. But an another thing I love, you see her kind of investigative nouse here. Like, you know, she she really does go to town on her boss in that office where mm -hmm. she says, well, you, you know, you get this flight to, um, I think it was Atlanta, where you meet Atlanta such City, and such yeah. a person. And then, like, she's not on the payroll. And she goes, well, actually... Um, this is called embezzlement, so mm -hmm. that he's actually taking money off the company, um, you know, or begins with that F word. Was it felony? Yeah. And it's like really, really, um, you know, good because you, you see this sort of this little 
little nugget of her investigative like brilliance in tracking down people making those connections and all that um hard graft to to uncover um the the real explanation for things which ultimately means that she goes into the pi world uh, and employment you know yeah so really good she seems to like investigating other people uh, the other point i wanted to pull out of the flashbacks that you didn't mention which i thought was quite interesting is actually a little bit of a flashback of patsy so just to confirm that chris was right um patsy was a star of a child uh, of a a children's program when she was very young. Uh, it seems like when she was around nine or ten, um, she seems to be living off the money from it. Um, I think that's called out as well, that she was the highest paid child actor in America. Um, she's got adoring fans who are constantly coming up to her, obviously because of the radio show now as well, but that's how she got into the radio show. Um, but it's all called out from the this absolutely atrocious come on from the guy at the bar. Uh, that is a horrible scene, just the kind of stuff she says to her particularly because she would have been a child star, a a person who's, you know, nine or ten years old at the time, and this is what the guy's doing watching her on TV. Um, A little insight, I suppose, into how some men treat women in bars, really, which I don't have a huge amount of experience of, uh, of how they're treated themselves or how they feel they're treated in bars. I think it was an interesting call out from um, from the writer of the show to put in, you know, a guy chatting up a girl and what he actually thinks is appropriate to say to a woman in a bar. yeah, I don't think he was going to be going home with the date, regardless of whether uh, Jessica was there or not, really. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, John, what's your second point? Uh, my second point is Kilgrave's caution in here. I actually, uh, I really like it as a as a character trait that he is being completely, like, rigorous and thorough. Mm-hmm. Like, he has these superpowers, you know, he calls it out um, where he meets Jessica for the first time in the flashback, which will be another one of my points. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he calls it out. It's like, you know, that he's he's special. He knows he is. He knows he's strong. You see at the end where um, he says, oh, I feel exhausted and I don't normally feel like that because of what's happened to me because of his powers. This is a really, really tough and strong, super-powered guy from a psychological point of view, from a a mind or mental control point of view. Mm. Um, And I love the fact that despite that, he is looking at every angle. And I I, I think for me, this is one of the things about uh, Kilgrave, is that he's not just a superhero who can and does rely on his superhero powers where or he he the writers have written the show to a point where they they're not just explaining everything because of his superpowers mm. he you know is purposefully then mind controlling other people to tell Malcolm where to go which is different every time they meet at the chessboard at a cafe at a, a kiosk Different points all the time, yeah. different people, which makes it really difficult for Jessica to track. You know, he's mindful of that. Um, and then we have the hires contract protection. That's his backup. If for some reason he's knocked out, run over and is, you know, put under to go to hospital or whatever, these are his backup guys. This guy is not only scurry because of his power, mm. but he's scurry about how thorough he is in doing his job of being 
quite frankly, a creepy, disturbing, powerful superhero using it for evil. This, to me, was really good. I loved seeing that because, as I say, so many times, I may be generalizing way too much here, but, you know, and certainly in films where, you know, they've got a shorter amount of time, it can just be kind of like glanced over Mm. with, well, that's his superhero power or, or whatever. Here, they're saying, this guy is powerful. He can control people and he can control multiple people all at the same time. Yeah. Despite that, he's also a smart guy. Yeah. And cautious and thorough. That is even scarier when you put all that stuff together. And I loved it. Sounds mundane, but it just makes him terrifying even more so. I loved it, really liked it. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. Um, But, you know, I know you do say that, but remember, we do have a ton now of TV shows of this ilk to compare Jessica Jones and Daredevil 2, where they have developed great uh, villain characters. Um, And realistically, you can only compare Kilgrave to to Kingpin now um, from, from Daredevil. If you try and compare this character to, I don't know, Ra's al Ghul from Arrow, there's no comparison. Kilgrave is a better villain. If try and compare him to uh, some of the villains in Agents of Shield, he's a better villain. He's a better drawn villain. He's got he's got some complexity to him and an intelligence to him that you see instantly. But and onto slightly onto my point, which is also about Kilgrave, because linking in a little bit, um, it's the cruelty of the man as well that comes across just in one point. Because I know it's in another scene a bit later on, which I know you'll talk about, but. The scene at the kiosk when the the guy at the kiosk, who he isn't mind controlling apparently, uh, questions him for taking all of the magazines off the off the shelves, and Kilgrave turns to him and says, "That coffee in your face," essentially, and he throws a, a what looks like obviously dark black hot coffee in his own face at at Kilgrave's command. That's just cruel. He could have just said to him, "The the Jedi mind trick essentially of." Uh, don't look at me, I'm taking these magazines and that's okay with you, that's fine. Um, he told him to throw hot coffee in his face. That's cruelty. That's, that's I'm, I'm willing to abuse my power for anything. Doesn't matter who you are, uh, don't question me, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I love that. And he, and then he says to, to Malcolm as well, come on, junkie. Like, he's really dismissive, derogatory to these people that he mind controls. Yeah. And I think one of the things I really want to pick out from Kilgrave here is that when he has the phone conversation with, with Jessica Jones, it is not like that at all. And actually, it's almost as though he's not using his superpower. And I actually thought he isn't. The conversation sounds so familiar that he has with her. And mm. um, to me, it sounded like a regular conversation. And that was the other scary thing was that actually, even without his superpower, he's quite a persuasive guy Mm. and just the way David Tennant has portrayed him that conversation where he's saying you know I didn't send uh, Malcolm down a path that he wasn't going to go down already you know he's justifying that you know he he kind of brokers the deal with her as well that if you send me pictures I will um, save Malcolm Mm. I won't go after him essentially that to me is simply as well just persuasive conversation and yeah. vocabulary. I don't think he's mind controlling. Absolutely. And, and I love that 
in any case, he is a master conversationalist and is able to draw on words and to put people in situations just because of how he talks. And his superpower is almost like an extension of that. Yeah. And that, to me, is a fabulous, dark character that you can actually, and what makes it even darker is that you can relate to it because you know people who are silver tongues. You mm. can, you know, twist things around or, or whatever. So this is really, really good stuff, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And just on that point, I did write down a very specific element about his powers because it's always nice to know the limitations of them. Um, while he's calling Jessica up on the phone and talking to her and trying to talk her into into this and convincing her that he hasn't done anything too bad to Malcolm, um, he specifically says, if you don't tell me what I want, to know i could come round to your house and make you tell me but i'd rather you tell me over the phone so essentially what he's saying is my power doesn't work over the phone it's not just in my voice it's in my presence as well which i thought was quite interesting that it is it shows the limitation of this mind control power you can't just call up and say to a bank open your doors and i'll walk in and take the money out he has to be face to face and in a specific situation to be able to use his powers on the person he's trying to control which i thought was interesting in, in the marvel universe trying to understand a the powers of a of a bad guy is always a, always really important but i like to like that little call out there um john do you want to give us your next point yeah, again, it's um, Simpson, it's Officer Will Simpson and his involvement in Jessica's big plan that she comes together. Like, he's really, really helpful. Mm. Um, and having said that, um, I'm still there going, is he good or is he bad? Uh -huh. I actually really just don't know. It's like there is this great paranoia that you get as an audience with this show because you're, you, like Jessica, are looking round to go, well, are they controlled by Kilgrave? Are they still controlled by Kilgrave? Do we know or don't we know that this person is controlled by Kilgrave? And that was in my mind all the time with Simpson involved in this plan. Right. And actually what even sparked my mind was that, you know, it was when he's... Um, interrogating the the contract security guy who's there protecting uh, Kilgrave, and he says, w "We don't know anything. This is our job." And yeah. I love that kind of that that switch on a theme. No, we're not controlled by Kilgrave. This is our job. Oh, that was fabulous. Like yeah. it's a really good uh, take. It really takes you out of that paranoia. But at the same time, then I was thinking, okay, Will Simpson is ex-military. Is he ex-military that, and I know he's a cop, and so this is why I'm thinking he's not, but okay. is he ex-military and he set up his own security firm? I'm sure there'll be a conflict of interest there, being a police officer as well. Oh, right, Simpson. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, they're going, does he know Kilgrave because he owns a security firm as an ex-military? You know, like a protection? Mm -hmm. Like, because they do that kind of thing. Yeah. Become bodyguards. And so I'm like... Is that what's happened? Like, I started thinking all this kind of stuff over Will Simpson. Um, and it wasn't just because that Simpson and Jessica don't seem to really get on too much. But, <laughs> no. You know, but it's just like, I was still there thinking, I'm not entirely sure I still 100% trust you. You know, I think you could be trying to get into Trisha's bed. And that scene I absolutely thought was fantastic. Um, the scene where he's under the bed sheets in Trisha's bed, mm -hmm. but you start off with Trisha's face, and I was looking at it going, oh, she's having a nightmare. 
And it's not, yeah. I thought it was, oh, I'm having a nightmare that it, she was sort of dreaming or, or thinking about Kilgrave and being attacked because she's so paranoid uh, about her safety and her security. Mm. And then, of course, it pans back and she starts making the noises. <laughs> and then there's Will under the bed sheets. Good and, man, Will. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that, that's how I, in the moment, took that scene. I thought it was really cool. Um, but I can understand that people would take it in a different way. But I thought it was really, really good. But, you know, he could still be sort of playing up to Trish to, to get her confidence. As I say, I still think he's the man with the fire behind him and so on. And I'm like, is that for good or right. for, for for worse? Or what? why is that happening? So there's still a doubt for me over Will Simpson. Right. And that's my point. Interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I have a little bit of a, a, a piece about Will Simpson. Just to answer one of your questions before uh, the listeners do, though. Um, so Will is definitely a cop. He's a, that is his job. Yeah. He's, a, he's a guy on the street. Uh, it's called out by Jessica because he's going a bit mental as uh, where he's trying to use his former spec ops uh uh, abilities essentially in this planning and um, he's definitely a cop now jessica says to him you're a cop your job is to protect and serve you're no longer in the army in the war yeah so i that's... love that i love that he said she goes remember protect and serve you're you're a cop you're yeah. a good guy yeah exactly so what really stood out to me there is that because he has the spec ops training is this a kind of a prototype punisher is this a prototype frank castle that we will see in daredevil in season two um is Will Simpson of that ilk? Would he have worked with Frank Castle in the past? Um, would he be that kind of person that that absolutely believes he can use his spec ops abilities or his special operations abilities uh, in New York City on someone that's trying to take him down? Uh, he seems to be going that way. It's only with the will of uh, Trish and of um, Jessica to pull him back from essentially creating a a, a campaign on the streets of New York to take down Kilgrave. He wants to put a bullet in Kilgrave's head, essentially. He doesn't even think about the consequences of what that will mean for Hope, which is the only reason Jessica's actually chasing down Kilgrave, if you remember. Um, he doesn't realize what the consequences will be for Malcolm or the consequences will be for himself if he pulls out a gun and is seen by Kilgrave. Um, he doesn't, doesn't look at those elements. He looks at it from a military perspective and goes, this is the operation task at hand, and the best option is to take out this guy. Absolutely. But then when essentially Jessica is going abort, 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 when the balloon goes off, yeah. he doesn't. And so that goes to me, is that why he left the army or maybe was discharged from the army? Or is that because he's involved with Kilgrave still for another reason, i.e. that this is all a plan? Now, I know Kilgrave had the tracker on him um, so that the the protection outfit knew where to go. But nonetheless, I'm there thinking, you know, why did he disobey that order mm. ultimately? Um, is it just because he's a bad soldier right. <laughs> who disobeys orders? Is it because he thinks he knows best? Yes. Or is yeah. it that he's working with Kilgrave? And that's the thing for me. I still have this slight bit of doubt over will and a bit of paranoia i hope to be proved wrong yeah but that's what i love about the show because i actually am really focusing in on this guy going are you legit or not yeah you know yeah really good i, de I definitely took it that he doesn't 
he doesn't really respect the people that are giving giving him the orders. It's kind of Trish, you're the talk show host, so you're going to be driving the car. Okay, I'll get you an automatic, uh, essentially, because you can't possibly drive a manual or a stick shift um, away. You're clearly not that good a driver. And then it's Jessica, you're a slight little girl. How can you control this military operation? My experience is best, essentially. Uh, I do think also in that scene, I feel maybe I need to look back at Captain America Winter Soldier. But is he wearing the the undercover costume that Steve Rogers wears? Essentially the cap and the, the leather jacket as he's walking up to Kilgrave. It was very reminiscent, anyway, of Steve Rogers when he goes into hiding with uh, with Black Widow. Thought that was quite interesting, but nice little touch. And one of the other little touches that was in that's that I've got in my notes is to see the kid in uh, in the park running through wearing the Captain America outfit yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Nice that they can use those costumes in the in here to great. tie it in with yeah. the MCU. Yeah, yeah. Thought that was pretty really cool. good. There'll be Wookiees walking through. Now. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And Mickey Mouse. I mean, they're all connected. Mm-hmm. Derek, what's your next point? Well, speaking of characters I don't trust or you don't trust, uh, my next point is actually about a new one that's been added to my list of who I don't trust. Ruben of the crazy neighbors upstairs. Um, We've seen him in pretty much every episode so far and haven't seen his sister since Jessica attacked her in the corridor. Yeah, if you remember. Yeah. Right. So there's a scene in this that has really put has really put it in my head that there's something wrong with Ruben. Is he a backup spy for Kilgrave in uh, in this show? Uh, Jessica throws a bottle of whiskey at the bin, smashes on the floor. Within a couple of seconds, Ruben is at the door carrying banana bread. Yeah? How did yeah. he get how did he get from his apartment upstairs, grab the banana bread, get downstairs in the lift, get all the way to her office, knock on the door within what looked like about three seconds? Because all she does is go over and pick up a couple of pieces of glass. Is that editing? Or is it possibly that he's been outside the door spying, looking for an excuse to speak to Jessica? Maybe so, and that could be. I hope not, because I'm really beginning to like Ruben. Like, the whole banana bread incident was great. <laughs> I loved it. I loved how he kind of tilts to one side um, with the frosted glass of alias investigations behind him um, to try and take a look. And, like, I think Jessica is slightly warming to him. I hope it's a positive relationship and outcome for them that they work together i don't think for one moment that she's attracted to him but i think she's kind of beginning to like look beyond the cover of the book and rather than saying oh he's a nerd who lives with his sister Mm. um who has foil on the windows who's you know um breeding bugs um you know he comes down with the the banana bread but i think more importantly like he seems quite genuine in relation to Malcolm mm. in the lift. And maybe that's, he's also looking out for Malcolm for Kilgrave because Malcolm's Kilgrave's spy. So maybe that's the reason. Or maybe it's the reason that he genuinely cares. And at the moment, for me, Ruben is one of the people that seems genuine. Right. And I thought that was really, really nice. And I think, you know, he asks her out to the cinema. Like, so for me, that was pretty interesting. And something that you said about him being, a, you know, a twist on a character in terms of uh, being an assistant to Jessica, I kind of hope that that happens because he seems genuine enough, mm-hmm. but he might be doing something dreadful uh, in the background because he's under the control of Kilgrave. Now, for me, 
the way I'm feeling about Ruben, if that were to happen, that would just be like, that would blow my mind and be awesome because they've completely blindsided right. me. That would be great because that's what I love about shows is where you go down and you get sucked in to that particular narrative yeah. and then it's blown inside out, basically. Yeah. So well, that's that... interesting you say that yeah. So because I have the opposite opinion of, the, of Ruben at the moment. But it'll be absolutely fantastic to see how that pans out. Yeah. Well, I was listening back to our uh, our podcast on episode one and hearing my own comments about Malcolm going, ah, he's the funny neighbor next door who's, you know, a drug addict and falls into their houses and takes peanut butter. Yep, that was a total <laughs> sideswipe to me in last episode where uh, where it turns out that that, that was all plan and uh, that's everything that's going on. So I'm now looking around at everybody. And um, there is also a question, if I can bring it in here, a little bit of feedback that's that has come in, which I never even thought of, uh, that apparently some of our listeners um, believe there is a relationship uh, and not just a, a fraternal relationship between uh, Reuben and his sister. That could well happen. Right. Oh, dear. Um, I'd never thought of that. Uh, no, I kind of did. Really? Yeah. Okay. So thanks very much to the listeners for pointing that out. That will never be out of my head. Um, yeah, I know that he had his pants off when Jessica went up to the apartment. Right. Um, But I didn't suspect that there may have been something else oh, yeah. going on there. Yeah, okay. Um, on that note, I think we should move on to the next point, John. <laughs> well, um, it's a flashback, but it involves Malcolm. Um, and it kind mm. of involves Malcolm's backstory. I, I, I mean, I love it when he goes, and you can save me again. Oh, wow. And it goes to that, you know, where he's about to be essentially chained to the toilet and uh, to to detox and to to get over his heroin addiction you know and Jessica is laying it out straight that he's got a choice um and you see that she saved him again that that this relationship between Kilgrave and Jessica and Malcolm are all intertwined in this one moment in this flashback Absolutely. where Someone is being beaten up and mugged on the street. Jessica comes down as as a superhero to save him. And Kilgrave is there, happens to be walking by with two ladies that he's picked up. And just how he says, I'm bored of you now, leave. And they go. And that's how Kilgrave and Jessica Jones meet. And mm. that's what starts this long road for Jessica in terms of her psychological sort of enslavement by him but it's the person that she saved from that mugging is malcolm and that to me was absolutely like poignant uh really uh poignant for 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 this episode and and there were a few moments um with malcolm that were really really poignant i think you know having the photograph there of him where he's clean cut and smiley and you know they go that was only six months ago yeah and the fact that he was a social worker you know his aim was to help other people the really sad tender moments about the tragedy of what's befallen malcolm and yet despite that you do have this notion both said by kilgrave and malcolm that he could have potentially been or become a heroin addict. Right. I mean, he does say, I only met him once a day. I, his powers are only last for so long. He can feel that in 
himself. I wanted them, he says. I wanted them, you know. Um, Kilgrave says, I only did and set him along a path that he could have gone along himself. I, he, not that he was an addict, but maybe he was a user. You know, that kind of thing, a bit like Jessica Jones with, with her alcohol. I'd love to see if anything more is explored as to whether Malcolm was maybe, you know, teetering on the edge of addiction of heroin or something like that. And Kilgrave just essentially exploited that or whether it was Kilgrave that set him to be an addict. Like the, the two slightly different things. And it's a bit like with, with Jessica where we see her in the flashback obviously enjoying a drink Mm. and shots all around is day drinking, you know, is it experience or special skills? Mm. And she teeters over the edge into heavy drinking, you know, slash alcoholism. So, you know, this to me is is really um, a great backstory of Malcolm. I absolutely loved it. And I loved how it was intertwined with, with Jessica Jones and with her meeting uh, Kilgrave and, it was a real poignant moment in this episode yeah. for me for that character. And I thought it was done really, really well. Um, and especially when you see that he doesn't take the heroin. Yeah, at the end. I know absolutely what you meant. I spoke about it in one of my points earlier on about the cruelty. This is the other element of that point. The cruelty of Kilgrave to see this person that Jessica saved lying on the ground, beaten broken but saved by jessica he asked the question to jessica did you enjoy beating up those guys and doesn't get the answer he's expecting the answer he gets is yes because i helped someone i changed i made a difference essentially so my reading of what's happened of this and correct me or if you have a different opinion john we can discuss it but it feels like because that's the that's the the piece that he's gotten back from her she's saying essentially i'm a hero I helped someone, I made a difference in the city. So because of that, Kilgrave takes Malcolm, turns him into an addict, turns him into a heroin addict. Um, The point that's made is the photograph that was taken was six months ago. He only moved into the apartment four months ago. So there's been two months that Kilgrave potentially conditioned this guy. Where else would he find him if he didn't take him from the street that night and turn him into a user? So for two months, he was conditioned by Kilgrave into becoming a heroin addict and then set loose in the apartment with Jessica to take photographs of her every day. And as an addict at that stage, as a fully full-blown addict, he didn't need to have Kilgrave um, uh, convincing him every day that he's doing the right thing. The power of Kilgrave, as we learned in in one of the previous episodes, is that he makes you want what he tells you you want, actually want it. Not that he tells you what to do, he tells you you want something, and you want it. So that whole element of uh, Malcolm, he's the absolute definition of the unreliable narrator. He's telling you, well, I am a junkie because I'm a junkie. Not because he told me to be a junkie, because I believe I wanted the heroin. And that is the power of Kilgrave. He's told him he wants the heroin, essentially. So the convincing that Jessica does and runs through with him to get off the, the heroin is the only thing that gets him off it at the end. And that's a fantastic scene and absolutely beautiful. But it is the cruelty of Kilgrave to take her one moment, and that potentially is the first time she's ever saved somebody, to take her one moment of triumph and turn it into this destruction of this character that helped other people. It's a really tough scene and a really tough backstory for this character. It is absolutely tough. And I mean, how he gets there, irrespective, it doesn't matter because it it still is poignant and tragic. 
but I yeah I mean I agree with you and I agree with myself I mean either way I think it's it, it's how he's gotten to where he is and I do think that a lot of the other people who have been questioned by Jessica about being under Kilgrave's control can still make the difference as she can they knew that they were being controlled whether it was from Will whether it was Jessica, whether it was the the lady in the park that she collars after telling Malcolm where to go, she she went, yeah, I'm supposed to be going somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, some British guy told me to come here and say this to this guy, but I didn't want to. It's the idea that they know that they want to do something else, but are compelled to do something. That was not in the conversation that Malcolm had. With Jessica, it was that I wanted this. Mm. I know that his these effects wear off. He wasn't saying, I knew I wasn't an addict, but I was just being compelled to take mm. the heroin. So it was it it was a slightly different conversation that was had by Malcolm. And maybe it's because he's on heroin. Possibly yeah, it's that reason. That's the way I took it. And and the point that I think Jessica makes herself is if you don't give up the heroin, then I lose no matter what I do. And essentially the loss there is that Kilgrave's won. Kilgrave is telling me he can convince anybody to do anything around me and they can't get out of the situation. But until that moment, Jessica didn't know that Malcolm was the person that she saved because he's hidden. He's hidden from her. It's only when her and Kilgrave walked away that he then turns and we get to see that it's Malcolm. So I don't know whether... Jessica knew that it was Malcolm that she had saved. Kilgrave may have known that, and maybe it was a trap by Kilgrave. I think, for me, um, is that the first time she's been told, this? you can save me again? And then presumably he goes back. In which case, ha- it's only then in that moment that she knows that it's an attack on her because... Yes. Yeah. And that, Absolutely that agree. that's all it is. Absolutely agree. It's when when she takes him home to the apartment and he tells her, um, you get to save me again. He's known all this time that Jessica was the one that saved him. He knows it's an attack on Jessica to turn him into a heroin addict and to have him be the one that followed follows her around. Um, but everything's but an attack pretty... on Jessica. The fact that she was so close to getting hope sorted and then she kills her parents. Yeah. That you know, all these elements are all an attack on on Jessica. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's again kind of Fantastic. slightly feeds into my paranoia over Will Simpson. Right. But yeah. Right. John, what's your next point? Uh, my final point um is hope. Mm. Um she's asking Jessica for money in prison. And again, it's there's a mystery there. Is this just a prison uh showdown and beat up and bullying kind of thing going on or is this again Kilgrave's influence yeah uh, for me this is definitely um sort of really intriguing you see sort of towards the end you know when Kilgrave's woken up and all of a sudden it's into it, it's intermingled with um the hope getting sort of punched in the stomach repeatedly mm. on her bunk bed in the prison by one of her uh one of the other prisoners and you kind of for me i was slightly unclear with all of this why this was happening because we hadn't seen any lead up so i'm sure there will be further um 
explanation of this down the line. Definitely. Um, yeah. But I was really intrigued by what was going on. And then ultimately, like with a lot of stuff now in this show, why it was happening. Was it a Kilgrave thing? Was it just a regular prison sort of violence and bullying thing? Yeah, was it just um, a crossover with Orange of the New Black? Exactly. Yeah. Like so this <laughs> this was this was an intriguing kind of development in Hope's story as well. I so that I thought was a, a good addition um to to this episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Derek, what's your final point? No, I think we've actually used up all the points I had, but I do want to definitely call out the name of the episode and its scene, uh, that, that the scene it comes from. Uh, the sandwich saved me. I think this is fantastic. Uh, essentially, this is Jessica getting to the bottom of the rung of all the menial jo- jobs and tasks that she's taken. Uh, so she's standing in the street calling out, two for one hoagies, two for one hoagies, two for one hoagies, two for one hoagies over and over again. And the scene is essentially a young girl being walked across the road by her father who's paying no attention because he's looking at his at his mobile. And his daughter basically would have been run over by a taxi if it hadn't been for Jessica stepping out and stopping the cab. I really liked this scene because essentially one of the first display, displays of a superpower from Jessica Jones, chronologically, I suppose, here is her stopping a car dressed as a big sandwich. Um, I think it's yeah. hilarious. I love the reaction of the little girl who's like, you know, it. That's the, it's the moment that you would see in a superhero film where it's like, thank you, Spider-Man, or thank you, Superman. In this, it's the sandwich saved me, which I just thought was really good. And a lot of humor in this episode, I think, overall. I think that, uh, that one really stood out to me. Um, John, do you have any other notes about the episode? I do. There's uh, um, a few. One, I love um, Trish saying... One tase and I'm useless. Um, I just thought, I mean, considering like Jessica gets multiple tase uh, cattle prods to her um, and Will is obviously using his special force training after they, they lose Kilgrave once they've kidnapped him. Yeah. Um, but I just, I love that. Um, I love that line from Trish. Uh, One tase and I'm useless. Like, yeah. She seems so downbeat that she's like failed everyone. It was just really like, it was such a great line of dialogue. Absolutely. And it seems like Trish has been trying to convince Jessica to put on uh, the superhero costume for months to get her to be a superhero. Jessica even calls out at one point, why don't you put on a cape and save the city? And clearly Trish has been training for that. She's been training to do something to protect herself, thinks she'll be great at it, and then gets tased once and, and collapses inside the car. So, yeah, um, poor Trish. Poor Trish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had um, the whole CDC facility uh, and the hermetically sealed room where they were going to... Um, have Kilgrave uh, put if the plan had worked. Ah, yes, um, and I loved the conversation that they had, uh, Will and, and Jessica, the, between the glass, uh, where um, Jessica goes, you know, you G.I. Joes, you definitely have a screw loose. You probably wiped out a village. And then it turns back to him. And he goes, you think just because you have these powers, you're a hero. I've seen, you know, true heroes. Yeah. It's a really interesting conversation between these two, between the soundproofing. I thought that was a really cool little bit. It's a really um, nice idea. I haven't actually seen that. I don't think I've seen that before in anything else where there's a soundproof room where neither person can hear the other and they're both saying really abusive things that they'd never be, never say to each other's face. I thought the gag was going to be that potentially, and I know from the comics she doesn't, but potentially Jessica had 
a super hearing ability and could hear everything that Will was saying and it made her hate him even more. I thought that was going to be the gag about the scene, but there's no gag. The gag itself overall is that neither of them can hear each other and both are willing to be very abusive to each other. Good catch. I forgot that. That was definitely going to be in my points. Yeah, it was really good. I think um, then after that, just like the ending, obviously, I mean, we've kind of not really discussed it too much. I mean, but, you know, the fact that Jessica... Like, we touched on it briefly, but, you know, the fact that Jessica ultimately sends Kilgrave a picture, Mm. you know, this is a real significant development. Um, She has gone back in, seen that Malcolm didn't take the drugs, and actually goes, you know, I want, I want Kilgrave to forget about Malcolm, so I will send the pictures to him uh, myself. Again, is it Kilgrave exploiting the weakness that uh, Jessica already talks about saying he knew he knew he knows my weakness and um, that I give a shit about people yeah. or is it um, that she knows that and knows that he will do that and is working on something to counter that ultimately in the long term so that was really really um, a great development I, I love that kind of um that power that Kilgrave seemingly has over her, but at the same time, you know, Jessica is doing this to protect Malcolm, and maybe she's also got another underlying plan in this somewhere, yeah. possibly. I hope um, so, and I, but I also loved about the scene with Kilgrave on the phone. We talked about his side of the conversation, but I love the fact that she doesn't say one word to him on the phone. Yeah. that I think that's just a beautiful touch. You know, she didn't even say hello on the phone. She doesn't say, obviously, she doesn't say goodbye, how are you, anything like that, obviously, because she doesn't like him. But she doesn't give him the satisfaction of hearing her voice even once on that phone call. And I think that's a really nice touch uh, for the character of Jessica. Yeah, yeah, and then my final note really is I love Jessica's call out to, to, to Malcolm where she's essentially saying, you know, you have this choice now. Um, mm-hmm. You can stop being a, a heroin addict and junkie. Okay, it'll take time. But stop being a self-pitying piece of shit, she goes, and save me for once. And I think that's a really important line. You know, her weakness is saving people, as just kind of mentioned. But it's also that I want someone to come in and save me. I want someone to, um, to help me, to do stuff for me. It can't always be me doing it in the other way, helping other people. That's my weakness, and I'll always do it. But for once, I want someone to save me. And by you not going down and continuing the heroin addiction, um, you can also save me by doing that and coming out the other side. That is a great uh, bit of character uh, exploration of Jessica Jones, which I really liked as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, this is this is a case of where a superhero is pretty much useless. She can't punch the heroin out of him. Um, she can punch him until he can no longer take heroin, break his hands maybe, I guess, is right about all she could do. But I love that she basically gives him the choice. She goes, I'm done here. I can't really do any more here. If you want to save me and save yourself, you have the choice here and you can do it. And she believes he's strong enough to do it as well. And it turns out it's founded. So, yeah, really, really good. Definitely. So, Derek, um, with that, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Do you know what? I'm going to say this is my favorite episode so far. Um, I 
absolutely think the elements of the characters that we get in this episode probably wouldn't play as well if I hadn't seen the other four episodes, obviously. But having the flashback now to seeing Jessica in happier times, kind of, to know that everything in her life or all the pain that she's going through in her life isn't necessarily just caused by Kilgrave. It's not just one moment in her life that changed everything, but knowing that things got worse for her after Kilgrave, or she believes they did anyway, um, I think that's a great touch to the character. Having the references to the comic books, like having the costume, the name Jewel being spoken out loud by uh, by Trish, I think that's a great touch. It's a nice little call out there, nice little nice little gag that there is no possible way she would ever put on that costume. That's really really good. Um, yeah, seeing stuff like obviously Simpson, seeing a bit of his a bit of his character, seeing the p- potential that he could turn into the Punisher uh, or someone like the Punisher, I suppose. I thought that was fantastic. Kilgrave at his absolute cruelest in this episode is fantastic for me. I thought it was well worth um, sticking with this character just to get how insane and how little. Um, I don't know how little feeling he has towards anybody else around him uh, is is fascinating in this episode. Really, really good. The highest of defends for this episode so far. I, I, I feel this is probably everything the first four episodes were doing was building up to an episode this good for me. Um, John, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do. I, I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones and very much in the same way as you do. This to me was as well my favorite episode so far, actually. Um, I'm definitely giving this 4.5 hoagies out of five. <laughs> or nine out of 10 because you get two for one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I loved for me in this episode. This is how you do flashbacks. The flashbacks here gave an emotional weight to what was going on in the present and mm-hmm. in the current in terms of um, the fun side of, of, um, of Jessica Jones and the contrast of that. And obviously, you know, what had happened in, in terms of the meeting of Jessica and Malcolm, uh, Jessica and Kilgrave in that one sort of crucible moment and how that's panned out afterwards. Um, you know, it, it added, um, tenderness it added tragedy and it added poignancy to what was being um presented to us on the screen and for me i absolutely loved that and it still kept the humor yeah i mean irrespective of all the other great things i mean i loved the kidnap of kilgrave it was really well done i loved the 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 trailing of malcolm by jessica and all this within the context of these flashbacks for me was absolutely really good again Kilgrave absolutely huge in this episode really seeing just quite how um an evil mastermind he is and um, okay they worked through that and and managed to attack his weak point but again for me all of this um is about how the past has informed the present with these characters. Absolutely. And it really, really worked. And I think from the end of that, I still think the phone conversation between Kilgrave and Jessica Jones was, quite frankly, um, really spooky. Just as how normal Kilgrave seemed to speak to Jessica, even though she didn't say a word, as a, a regular conversation given about 
given how he speaks to other people, yeah. um, like Malcolm, it's like, like the guy at the kiosk, absolutely. Yeah. There is an element of respect and admiration there that he holds for her still. And is that it? was interesting as well. So for me, absolutely highest, highest defend as well. And mm-hmm. um, is he just thinking of Jessica? I know we're way outside the actual discussion of the episode, but is he just thinking of Jessica as his partner? Does he think she actually wanted to be there? Has he convinced himself that despite the fact that she was under mind control, that she actually did have feelings for him? Is that is that what we think is happening with Kilgrave? That he actually feels that that he doesn't need mind control with Jessica, that he that she is his equal, that she that the months and months they spent together were actually correct in her mind, despite how Jessica has reacted to him. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But unfortunately, what I've just gotten in my head is that his greatest flaw in, in his ability is if he speaks to himself, can he convince himself to do something? Of anything, yes. Um, so maybe it's that element of it, you know? Um, if you talk in your sleep, maybe you wake up and you do something weird. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Like cat food porridge or something like that. I don't know. But, that's that's um, a very doctor thing to do is to have some cat food porridge. Yeah. But um, I think with that, I think that comes to the end of uh, of our discussion. Um, we have some feedback from, from some of our listeners. Um, and it's really just to say here up front that, remember, if you have any feedback on the episodes of Jessica Jones, um, please send it into feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com and of course you can also send in your feedback discussions and comments on facebook at defenders tv podcast like our page join our group um, and of course tweet at us at defenders cast for all feedback comments discussions on this great great show so far absolutely and uh, can i just ask when you're sending in your email can you make sure you mark it with the episode number that you're talking about we are not watching ahead we've watched five episodes the next episode we watch is episode six and we'll podcast directly afterwards a little bit of a misunderstanding where we have received a little bit of feedback for a future episode i'm the only one that's read it i think i'm okay um, i think it hasn't spoiled too much for me but if you could just mark it with the episode you're talking about so that i hold it over for a, for a future f- feedback section yeah we just need the Kilgrave jedi mind wipe absolutely absolutely uh, so our first piece of feedback comes from sylvie c uh, sylvie was our winner of, of our competition uh, that we had in the first episode and sylvie comes back saying wow i'm so happy and uh, you have no idea the posters of all my favorite shows that's too good to be true uh, she gives us some feedback for episode five as well uh, she says i loved episode five obviously the star of this one is malcolm so sad to see how miserable he became with the drugs to know that kilgrave barely had to mind control him just just had to get him hooked on the drug. I thought it was a little exaggerated, though, that Malcolm is also linked to the night Kilgrave met Jessica. I mean, she could have saved any other man that night, uh, but it had to be her future junkie neighbour. Um, so to that point, I think we spoke about that during the episode. I feel that it, that was absolutely on purpose. Kilgrave picked Malcolm up off the street and turned him into a junkie to turn her one triumph against Jessica. That's That's my feeling on it. But is that the only person she saved as a superhero? Do we know that? It, we, it definitely was the person that she saved the night she met Kilgrave, so that's the one he knows about, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the only one, potentially. She saved the girl as well. Like, what I mean is, is that it's not just a single save, but, yeah, she may know that she met him on that day. 
Yeah, possibly. Maybe that's the 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 fundamental pieces that she knows that Kilgrave met him as well. Yeah, maybe that's it. Sylvie goes on to say, Trish is a great character. Definitely doesn't seem to have any hidden superpowers other than her courage. That's what I like about her. A lot of women, including myself, can relate to her. She's strong-headed. She's training. She wants to make a difference. But in the end, no superpower also means that we would probably all end up knocked out in a matter of seconds. Haha, <laughs> that's just the reality. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you so much, Sylvie. Um, they, that's... Uh... I definitely agree with you um, there in relation to the the episode about Malcolm. I mean, it is so sad. And that idea that, you know, he is teetering on the edge of drug addiction or at least heavy drug use um, and just how that mirrors with with um, with Jessica and her alcoholism. Definitely. Um, and yeah, I, it's I, I like the fact that Malcolm was saved by Jessica I know what you're saying definitely about him being the the neighbor junkie next door. Um, But uh, I can live with that. But I definitely know what you're saying. But I also would say I don't think it is the one and only. I think maybe Kilgrave knows that. uh, But Malcolm and Jessica, uh, no, sorry, Jessica doesn't until that night in her bathroom. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll keep discussing this, I'd say, well off air. Yeah, but thank you so much, Sylvie, for, for all that. Definitely, we all would like to have the 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 superpowers or at least the drive like Trish does to, to become uh, something more than we can be, I suppose. Absolutely, but yes, we would probably all end up knocked out in a matter of seconds. I can't even do the 30-day shred, so, I mean, look, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Some other pieces of feedback, some on Luke Cage from our Facebook page. Uh, Doug Green says, I love my culture as Luke Cage. I can't wait for that show now. Snap. Joel Sharpton also says, I'm with Doug. I like lots of things about the show, but two episodes in, Luke Cage is my favorite thing. Uh, I also like that that every show adds several great side players to the universe that can all further inhabit future shows or movies. Hogarth and Luke in particular in this one. But why not have Foggy help out some of these heroes in future in one way or another? Or have Kingpin menace them all? Or have them all argue about the Punisher and what to do with them? Snap, absolutely. Luke Cage for both Doug and for Joel. Um, loving Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, can't wait to see the standalone show, definitely. And to be honest, I think, yeah, the crossovers, it'd be great to layer them in over the course then, like of Jessica Jones. We haven't seen any just yet. Yep. Um, but obviously, um, we're hoping that from episodes 6 through to 13 that we might see a Foggy or a or a, um, a Matt Murdock or, or maybe even... Um, uh, a night nurse or uh, Rosario Dawson's character, mm-hmm. you know, all of these, we might see uh, something on them. Um, if Kilgrave ends up going to prison, that you know, not that it becomes like an Arkham thing, but you know, you start to see Rikers Island possibly being inhabited with the Kingpin, Kilgrave, uh, and would that ultimately lead to something that comes up in the defenders? Like, so it could be that we see much more interaction of this within the defenders, but certainly I'm loving that crossover between Luke and Jessica in this. Um, and obviously with Luke having his standalone as well, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And Rebecca closes out the points on Luke Cage by saying Luke is simply perfect in this. We know you're a huge fan of Luke Cage, Rebecca, and uh, I'm delighted that he's that the casting and the acting has matched up to your image because I know you love Luke and Iron Fist. And uh, yeah, delighted about that. Yeah, I agree, Rebecca. Yeah. We need to share the Luke Cage stories next. <laughs> 
We also have a long-time listener, first-time caller um, here with Irene. Um, good to have you back, Irene, even if it is within the comments section. Um, yes, our we former have, co-host, the, one of our former defenders, Irene. Yeah, um, she goes, hi, everybody. I, I have only seen three episodes so far. Uh, very dark, but I really like it. David Tennant is horrifying. <laughs> yep. Is that his purple? Are you not a fan of purple? Or is it just that he is horrifying? Because I agree, he is horrifying. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Um, thanks, Irene, for that. It'd be great Absolutely. It would be great to have you on board talking about the darkness and the uh, the horrification of David Tennant uh, in the show. But thanks so much for sending that email in to us. Uh, Chris has also got in contact while we've been recording to say that uh, the reason he's not here this week is because he's been taken by Kilgrave. So, oh my uh, God. Just so you know. So hopefully he'll be back next week. He might be brainwashed to take photographs of well, us. Uh, we need to call Heroes for Hire, obviously. <laughs> And finally, we have Ronaldo on Twitter. He goes, hi, guys. Keen on your thoughts. My mate didn't much like Daredevil. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. He prefers Gotham. Is it better or different? I think it's different. Mm. Um, I think Gotham has divided opinion, and, and it's different. It is a different type of show. It is much more um, linked, I think, to now after covering it in season one on Gotham TV podcast and done um, like five episodes of season two of Gotham um, so far, um, we don't get it till January. We were lucky enough to see some of those episodes uh, in the US when Mm -hmm. we were over for New York Comic Con. We saw those, but um, it is different. And I think it harks more back to 1966 Batman and Adam West, but with dark tinges. It's kind of slightly schizophrenic in that sense. It has these real goofy or goofball moments that do hark back to 1966, but then there is also a lot of violence and a lot of blood. And, I mean, we're only five episodes in um, this season, but it does feel much more... um, connected together this season yeah. compared to the first season where originally they started off with 13 episodes then it was up to 16 and then finally got they got 22 uh, episodes so in in many respects the writers in a sense didn't really know whether they were coming or going the first 13 episodes of gotham do seem to be like much more consistent and then like characters drop off that were there for the first 13 and there's no explanation why which is slightly weird really i think mm. in a show it's not something necessarily you would get too much of, I don't think, from what we've seen of Daredevil or of Jessica Jones so far that you get in this. And, um, you know, everyone is there for a reason. Uh, and that is a really interesting thing. And I think that's what we get now in season two of Gotham. But I think it's a different type of show. Um, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with John. And um, I mean, I enjoy covering Gotham, covering Gotham over on Gotham TV podcast. Really good fun. As a show, I can kind of let my brain turn off a little bit more and kind of go, oh, that's a character from the comics. Oh, that's another character from the comics. I can do that a lot. I was able to do that a lot in the start of season one when they were throwing in every single villain. Um, there's a little bit more connection towards the end of season one. I much enjoyed the show so much more. But I do think Daredevil is a different class of show, um, much like Jessica Jones. There's a much deeper uh, set of characters. The rules of the universe are very different. The um, the idea of of characterization and having strong actors in the roles. Um, everybody in these shows are is very strong on Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones. So I don't think there's anything to compare. If you have time, 
in between binges of Netflix shows, Daredevil and Jessica Jones. There's nothing wrong with uh, wrong with Gotham, and definitely enjoy it. Um, you've got two seasons there; it's 44 episodes. It's quite a lot of stuff, and sometimes it does feel a bit more stretched than the tight uh, writing that's in Daredevil and Jessica Jones. But I do think that you know, for example, Corey Michael Smith's portrayal of, of um, Ed Nigma, who ultimately becomes the Riddler, absolutely. is is absolutely fantastic, yep. and that is really a well developed character drawn out and um, but it retains a lot of uh i i think the comic book element to it more so maybe than than these do uh, and i think the same with oswald cobblepot as the penguin and um, quite long uh drawn out character development which is really solid and they're parts of the show that certainly for myself i've really enjoyed so Definitely. i mean there's great character development in gotham as well and um, i think the general themes are are lighter in gotham but then it's punched under with um quite severe violence so it's very much a um, a, a jarring and contrasting kind of piece of TV, I think. Mm. And I mean that in a good way. So I definitely think it's just a different um, type of TV show. Yeah. And that appeals to people or or it doesn't. Um, for me, again, I really like uh, Gotham. Absolutely. I love it. I, don't want, I wouldn't want to be doing without it. You can definitely tell the difference between a network TV show that has 22 episodes and a show that's released in one day like Jessica and, and Daredevil. You can definitely tell the difference, and that's kind of all I mean, I suppose. Uh, I, I can't wait to get Gotham back to us in the UK and Ireland back uh, in January next year and get back to Gotham TV podcast to talk about the show without a doubt. Uh, I definitely really enjoyed it. Thank you everyone for for listening um it's been really good to have you uh, on board with us for yeah. for this episode of defenders tv podcast looking at aka the sandwich saved me <laughs> still makes me laugh remember you can subscribe to um, defenders tv podcast on itunes just go to defenders tv podcast.com forward slash itunes and you, su- you can subscribe there or you can subscribe to any other good uh podcast catcher android podcast catcher uh, just search defenders tv podcast and um, please continue sending in your feedback it's been really good sharing uh, other people's thoughts on this uh, to to our our listeners it's really good of you so if you have any uh, comments on any of the episodes on the podcast just send them in to feedback at defenders tv podcast.com or follow us are on Twitter or join our Facebook group or page. And again, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, really enjoyed talking about episode five of Jessica Jones. Our next episode will be out on Tuesday, the 8th of December, if my mathematics is correct. Uh, it'll be episode six of Jessica Jones, just about the halfway point of this really, really enjoyable, slightly creepy, slightly dark, but excellent Netflix show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, bye. Great stuff, guys. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth Movie Show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.